All right, I guess we're going to get started. So, hi, welcome to Bible study. We're back. Yeah, we should be on more of a regular schedule from here on out into the fall. Uh, my life is not as interesting as the summer ends, and so I'm normally around on Mondays. And uh, so, looking forward to that. I really miss it when I'm not here. Uh, sometimes I just want to get a recorder out and record something wherever I'm at, because I'm so used to it. But I try to save it all up for you guys for when I'm here. So we're going to pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thanks for opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you're here. You're right here in our midst. I pray that we'll really take advantage of you being right here in our midst and allow you to lead us, guide us, and bring revelation into our lives. I ask you that we would have open hearts and open minds and just be ready to receive what you want to pour out tonight. So Jesus, we ask that you would lead us, you'd have your way. Pray for your Holy Spirit to anoint this word. And I pray, Father, that uh, this word would have its effect on us. I pray for change. I pray for change in our hearts, change in our minds. Uh, we would be drawn in a closer place with you. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. And as you open up to Luke chapter 7, just a quick reminder, as we get things going again, if there are any questions uh, for any of our listeners that they would like to ask, uh, we have uh, a mechanism in place for that through SpeakPipe. Uh, you can go to www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word, and you can leave us a question or a comment there. It's like having an answering machine, and then we'll play that and hopefully be able to answer that or further comment on it, and that way we can have participation both here and AFAR. So thank you. Use that if you're so inclined. Luke chapter 7 and verse 30. going, right? Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. That's Luke 7, 30? I was going to say, I'm in big trouble. None of my notes match that. <laughs> Whoa. All right, thanks for reading that. And what Jesus is talking about here is John the Baptist. He is giving a little bit of praise, a little bit of shine toward John the Baptist. He uh, is talking about uh, just glowing words and uh, just talking about John as being someone who's sturdy. He, he says he's not, some, he's not like a reed that's shaken in the wind. But he's somebody who's sturdy. Now this, the important part about that is that it's coming just after John had expressed some doubts about Jesus. If you read up further, you can see that some of John's disciples had come to Jesus and 
he had sent them. He, had, he was incarcerated at the time. And so he had sent some of his disciples to inquire and to say, well, are you the one or should we wait for another? Should we look for another? Now, that's a kind of an interesting moment, though, in the gospel. Because John the Baptist, if you read the beginnings of the gospel, John the Baptist is really solid as far as Jesus is concerned. He's not only his cousin, I mean physically his cousin, but he also had a supernatural revelation that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Now, Jesus showed up and John the Baptist was like, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Did it three times. And, and so he was announcing to his followers, announcing to his disciples, that here is the Lamb of God. Not only did he do that, but he also uh, proclaimed a few others like that he knew he was unworthy. He knew that Jesus was somebody that was beyond who he was. He also knew that Jesus was the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. So he had a word, a prophetic word, that Jesus would be the one that would baptize in the Holy Spirit. He said, well, I baptize in water, but he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So he had that word that was going on. And that wasn't going to take place for years after he said that. So he had some supernatural revelation going on there. So he had a physical, physical connection to Jesus. He had some supernatural revelation going on and... When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, something happened. Anybody remember what happened? Okay, so the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a, like a dove, all right? And then what happened? The Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my son, and so there was this supernatural occurrence that John the Baptist physically witnessed. So he saw the Holy Spirit, and he heard the voice of the Father. And so in our terms, we would look at that, and that's one of the main verses that's used to talk about God as a trinity. Because they're all there at the same time in the same place. You've got the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit descending, and Jesus physically there all at the same time and it was witnessed by people and so here was this manifestation that John the Baptist witnessed so he's got all those things working for him and yet there came a point in the ministry of Jesus there came a point in the incarceration of John where he spoke to his disciples and he sent them to ask are you the one, even after all that? And I'm not judging him at all. I'm just saying that those were the occurrences that led up to this. He was a supernatural prophet, John the Baptist. He saw things. He heard things. He had wisdom. He had insight. God used him to preach the word. God used him to baptize. God used him to prepare the way. In fact, Jesus declared that no man who had ever been born of woman was greater than John the Baptist. All right, so you've got the greatest man who ever lived, according to Jesus. You've got Jesus' cousin. You've got supernatural revelation, prophetic revelation going on. And you have him experiencing God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son all at the same time in the same place. Asking, are you the one? Does that seem weird? 
Because it seems like in our minds that you know we're always looking for that extra experience. Well, if, I, if God did this, I'd really believe. Really? I don't think that's really the issue. If God did that, I'd really believe. If God said this, I'd really believe. If I saw that, well, that would really nail it down for me. Well, if it didn't nail it down for the greatest man who ever lived, who was physically Jesus' cousin, who shared the same air and breath with him, and who interacted with him, if it didn't nail it down for the one who had prophetic revelation about who Jesus was at that moment and who he would be over the next period of years and even into forever, and if it didn't nail it down for the one that had been in the presence of the Father, the voice of the Father, the bodily form of the Holy Spirit, and the Son of God, all in the same place at the same time, if it didn't nail it down for him, why would we believe it's going to nail it down for us? Doesn't that seem silly? I mean, when I put it that way? Because I know I set it up to seem silly, so I, I hope you caught that. Because that was what I was trying to do. Because that's not the issue. The main issue that was going on with John the Baptist, why he couldn't nail it down, is because Jesus didn't turn out to be exactly what he thought he was going to be. See, John the Baptist, even though he had all this insight, even though he had all this revelation, even though he had all this going on and all this supernatural and everything happening, he still had in his brain something he thought Jesus was going to be that Jesus wasn't. Jesus wasn't a political leader. Jesus wasn't a military leader. Jesus wasn't kicking out the Romans. Jesus wasn't doing the things that John the Baptist believed that he was going to do. And John the Baptist also knew that he was about to be killed. It was only a matter of time. That John was. John was incarcerated at the time. It was only a matter of time before he'd be killed. And so he's wondering, are you the one or should we look for another? So there are a couple of things that we learn from this. One, our circumstances, if we do not, if we do not handle our circumstances, they will handle us. That's the first thing I want you to see from that. The second thing I want you to see from that is that our expectations are powerful things and they also need to be handled. Because when you have the wrong expectations and God doesn't do what you think he's going to do, what happens? You become angry, frustrated, and bitter. And it affects your faith. Even what you know, you know, it affects. And so those are two things that have to be handled in our life. They have to be. Circumstances have to be handled, and so do our expectations. And sometimes they play off of each other. Sometimes they're kind of related to each other. But they both have to be handled. That's the lesson of John the Baptist. Like I said, I'm not judging John the Baptist. He's the greatest man who ever lived. How am I going to judge him? And yet, circumstance and expectation. He needed to handle it. We need to handle it. That's the, that's the big lesson to me from John the Baptist. So we start going down, and, and so Jesus is in the midst of this. What is, how does Jesus respond to John the Baptist asking, are you the one? He praises him. He praises John the Baptist and says how great he is. Gives him just glowing words and talks about how sturdy he is and, and all of those things like that. He, he, he comes back with, 
Yeah, John the Baptist is awesome. Now, here's another one of those moments where you can learn something about Jesus. And, and it's one of those moments where we look at ourselves in that situation and how would we respond to that. And, and this is another great lesson in not doing this. Don't put that on God. How would we respond to it? Well, who's John the Baptist? He's going to ask me if I'm the one? Really? That's kind of how most of us would respond to that. Some of us would anyway. But the, the bottom line is Jesus just praised him. He said, oh, he's great. He's solid. He's strong. And you know what? He wasn't looking strong, was he? He didn't seem strong. Are you the one? That's not strong. And yet Jesus knows he's strong, so he just says it. He proclaims it. Because John the Baptist was strong. And in a moment, he may have asked that question. In a moment, he may have, have, have tried to find out what was going on with Jesus and all of that. But John the Baptist was strong. And so what did Jesus say about him? He's not a reed shaken in the wind. He's strong. Who'd you go out to see that day? Who'd you go out to experience that day? Who'd you go out to hear that day? And he reminds them of who John the Baptist is. Not based on one question, based on what the guy's life was. You see, that's a bigger picture, and that's a bigger way of seeing things. And learn something about Jesus from that. Learn something about Jesus from that, and don't get stuck in a moment. Learn something from, about Jesus that, and don't get stuck in one failure. Learn something about Jesus in that, and don't get stuck because you may have made the wrong decision one time, or two times, or whatever it is. Don't, don't get stuck in that. Because he's looking at something a lot bigger than that, and he's looking at something that's a lot deeper than that in you, and a lot deeper than that in me. Because you see it in his report, he's like, yeah, he's sturdy, he's strong, he's glowing terms. Awkward moment, glowing terms, though, because that's who John the Baptist was. And so he goes from that, and he talks about the people, and, he, and he's speaking of, there's a couple different kinds of people that he's going to talk about here. And he talks about the people that reject the purpose of God. Some of your Bibles, if you have an older Bible, it says the counsel of God. But the word means his purpose, his intention. And, and he talks about a people that were rejecting, that were frustrating the intention of God in their lives. And there's a, there's a couple of different kinds of people that are described. You got common people. What I mean by common people, I mean like normal people like us. You got uh, just people that were living their lives out, having their families, and they were going about their business, and they were fishermen, and, and they were tax collectors, or whoever they were. They, were. they were going about their trade, living their lives, and they, were, uh, they had their families, and they were going about their business and all of that. They accepted the gospel. You know, your average person, they didn't have a problem with it. They accepted the gospel, they accepted what God was saying, they accepted the intention of God for who they were for their lives and for what was going on, no problem. But he said, but there were these other people there, and they were the cultivated, the educated people. They were the religious elite. And what was the problem with the religious elite? Well, they were rejecting the intention, rejecting the purpose of God over their lives. And that's what he describes in this verse. 
is that these were the very people that were thwarting what God wanted for them. They were uh, making it void. They were nullifying what God wanted for them. And in doing so, they were harming themselves. That's a real problem. Somebody look at Galatians 2.21. There's another reference to this. Galatians 2.21. We see Paul picking up this theme in the church. So another, and then that's that same word, is that we don't want to frustrate God's grace. And when I say frustrate, I don't, and I don't want you to get the impression that we somehow hinder his grace some, somewhere else. Where we're frustrating his grace is in our lives. Where we're frustrating his purposes in our lives. Where we're frustrating his intent is in our lives. And thereby we're harming ourselves. And so there's this, this idea that Paul picks up from Jesus as Jesus is describing these people. I mean, he's referring back to Matthew 3. If you go back to Matthew 3, 7, what you see are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They came to be baptized by John. But what happened when they came down to be baptized by John? John looked at them, and he had some choice words for them as they were coming down to be baptized. He calls them a brood of vipers. You remember that, that little choice? Name he gave them, you brutal, you family of snakes, you snakes, you, who warned you of what was to come? Why are you even down here? And the idea that he was bringing forth there is that here were people that were coming to him to be baptized and he questioned their motives. That's what he was doing. And they didn't like that very much. They went to be baptized by John, but they were repelled by his reproof. Why? They couldn't bring themselves to answer the question. Why are you here? They couldn't answer it. They got upset by it. They were offended. They were angry. They were frustrated. They were prideful. Whatever else was going on with them. But whatever was happening there, they could not come to a place where they would accept the reproof, where they would confess their sins, and they would answer the question. They wouldn't do it. And so they turned and they left. And here was, this is the thing that Jesus is saying. In doing so, they rejected the purpose of God for them. That was the rejection. That was the thwarting. That was the making void. That, that's how they nullified everything that God wanted to do for them. Why did God offer them? They offered them salvation, offered them freedom, offered them liberty, and, and just deliverance from bondage, all these things, healing, all, whatever. That's what he's offering them. Relationship with God, he's offering them freedom in, in, a, in a real spiritual way. That's what he's offering them. And they can't even take hold of that because they can't answer the question. A straightforward rebuke is what they got. A straightforward reproof is what they got. They didn't like it and they left. 
Don't want to hear that. Don't want to hear it. Okay, somebody look at Acts 20, 27. Here you have, and the only reason I had to read that verse is that I sometimes hear people say, well, if I knew what to do, I'd do it. Well, we, we do know what to do. I, I'm pretty sure. And we may not want to do that, and so we don't. But as... I read the Bible, and I'm not saying this is absolutely true every single time, because I know that God leads us through times, he leads us through circumstances where we may have to wait for something, all right? And I'm not discounting that. But what I want to say is that God talks to us, well, if you seek, what's going to happen? You'll find. If you ask, what's going to happen? It'll be given to you, all right? And, and that's what Jesus proclaimed. And so I tend to believe that. And, and I look at this verse in Acts and say, well, I, I've told you what God's will is. And I think God's pretty faithful about sending people our way. He's pretty faithful about sending circumstance, people, situation, books, literature, uh, whatever it is, our way. And he proclaims things to us. He proclaims his will. He proclaims his purpose. He proclaims his intentions to us. It might be a word we receive. It might be a song we sing. I can't even tell you how God speaks. You tell me how God speaks to you. But it, as he does that, the issue then becomes not so much, well, I don't know. Although that's really super convenient to be able to say that. That's not really the issue most of the time. The real issue most of the time is us not wanting to hear it. Us not wanting to answer the question. Us not wanting to do whatever it is God's speaking for us to do. That usually, and I'm not saying every time, hear me what I'm saying, that usually though is the case. Whether we want to admit that, or we don't. Because I'm sure the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes walked away from that day with John the Baptist and said to themselves, wow, I thought there was really something going on down here. I guess not. When they had actually heard the word of God. When they had actually had the Holy Spirit speaking to them, they needed to make some changes. When God had actually drawn them to a place of decision and they refused to decide. That was it. And so in their minds, did they miss anything? No. In their minds, had they refused God? No. In their minds, had they done their due diligence to at least check this lunatic out that was baptizing people down at the Jordan River and they had done their, their due diligence to get down there and hear what he had to say, determined that he was out of his mind, walked the other way and left and didn't even think about it again, maybe. You see, that's how our brains work. 
But that becomes an issue for us because as Jesus looks at it, not as they look at it, as Jesus looks at it, they were rejecting the purpose of God for their lives. That they were thwarting it, that they were frustrating his purpose for them. And so they were creating harm. They were doing harm to themselves. That's how Jesus saw it. And I want you to see a, a contrast here. I want you to see the way that Jesus responds about John the Baptist. When we look at that, and you might think that's an awful thing. How could he question his own cousin? How could he question a man that he had already proclaimed and prophesied over as being the Lamb of God? Who takes away the sin of the world? How, how could he go back on that? How could he... How could he not remember that uh, he, he saw the manifestation of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all at the same time? How could he not remember that? You might think that's awful. Yet Jesus responded to that. He was like, he's a great guy. Love John the Baptist. Strong. But here's the people that he's concerned about. It's the people that are opposing and frustrating what he has for them in their life. That's who he's concerned about. Not a guy who is confused. Not a guy who is in a moment of weakness. Not a person who maybe asked the wrong question in the wrong circumstance. That's not who he's upset about. What he's upset about is, is the frustration of what he has for us. That's what he's upset about. When we frustrate all that he has for us, when we thwart all that he wants to give us, when we nullify all the great intentions and all the great plans that he has for our life, that's what he's concerned about. Do you see how sometimes we get caught up in the wrong thing? Do you understand that? We get caught up in the wrong moment, in the wrong thing, worrying about the wrong stuff in our life. We're worried about all this little stuff and all these things and all these lapses or whatever you want to call it that, would, that happen in our life, and they are going to happen. And we miss the big thing is that, you know, God, I don't want to frustrate your intentions. I do not want to frustrate and reject what you have for me. That's what I want because that's what he's concerned about. That's what he wants to see happen. In and through us. You think about his purposes for us. I can give you some general purposes. I mean, there's individual purposes, individual intentions, awesomeness that he has for each one of us. But there's some general stuff too. One of, the, one of his big general purposes for our lives is that we live forgiven and cleansed. That's one of his big purposes for our life. We just live forgiven and cleansed. Yeah. John the Baptist, did, did he, I mean, what do you think happened after that when Jesus... You know, after they came to Jesus publicly and questioned whether he was the Messiah. What do you think happened with John the Baptist? He was completely rejected by God, never to be seen or heard from again. And we're not going to see him in heaven. What happened? Jesus rebuked him and told him he's, he's stupid. Is that what happened? No, actually Jesus loved on him in public after all of that. And sent his disciples away with a good word for him. That's what happened. That he got loved on by Jesus. See, he wants us to live forgiven and cleansed. That's a state of being. 
You know, I meet Christians, like they, they look at it, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, I have to repent of every sin. I've had Christians ask me, it's like, you know, if I, if I was angry with somebody and I get hit by a bus before I have a chance to repent, would I still go to heaven? That's a serious question. Yes. Yes, I, yeah. But living in that constant state of, uh, oh, well, I sin, I need to repent. 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 That's not living in a state of forgiveness and cleansing. That's living in a state of need all the time. And the need's been met, and part of our faith, part of what God has poured out on us, is allowing that faith to receive of that forgiveness and cleansing and to live secure in that. You can live secure in that. I can live secure in that. So if I, I was angry at the DMV for having sat there for four hours and I stepped off the curb and a delivery truck for SRC ran me over <laughs> on my way to my mini car and I died on the spot, I still have confidence that I'm going to be with Jesus, all right? Because I live in forgiveness and cleansing. And there are times it, that I'm, I'm worshiping, there are times when I'm praying where I'll, I'll pray for cleansing over myself. There are times when uh, the certain things happen in my life where I'll pray and I'll ask forgiveness. I'll ask forgiveness of people. I'll ask forgiveness of, uh, of God. I'll ask forgiveness of whoever I need to ask forgiveness of. But I, I don't worry about that every single moment. I live in subjection to the Holy Spirit. And as he leads me to do that, I'll definitely do that. I have no problem with that. But I'm not going to worry if I step off the curb and get hit by a bus that everything's not okay. It's okay. I'm not going to live like that. I've seen enough in the scriptures and I've read enough through the Old, the New Testament. God is just so good and he's so merciful and he's so full of grace and he's full of so much love for us. I can't believe any other way. I just can't. And so, part of his purpose, 1 Timothy 2, 4, he's not willing that any should perish, but who should come? Who should come? Everyone. Everyone. All right? That's his will. That's his will. Let's get that in our hearts. Let's get that in our minds. Second part of his purposes for us is that he wants to live through us. He really does. Jesus wants to live through you. He wants you speaking and, and acting and being for him. And that's part of his purpose for your life. And if you don't get the first purpose, you'll never get the second purpose. And here's what I mean by that. That first purpose of living in that state of forgiveness and cleansing that makes it possible for you to believe that God really wants to live through you. Because if you're stuck on whatever you're doing wrong, if you're stuck on whatever your failures are, if you're stuck on whatever you can't seem to get over in your life, then you're never that vessel that God's going to use in your mind. I'm not saying you aren't. I'm saying that's in your mind. You're not. But as we live in forgiveness... We live in cleansing. 
then, then faith that Jesus wants to speak through me is a little easier to muster up. Faith that Jesus wants me to lay my hands on somebody for healing. He's going to heal somebody through me. That's easier to muster up. That he wants me to help that person. He wants me to speak to that person. He wants me to pray over that person. He wants me to, whatever it is, to prophesy his word to this person or to that group or whatever it is that he has for me to do becomes something that I can believe that Jesus wants me to do. And it's not because I'm a perfect person. I will never be a perfect person in this life, ever, never. But I'm forgiven and I'm cleansed. And part of his purpose for me is he does want to speak through me and he wants to use me supernaturally. And I can believe that. I can believe that. And I put that in the same category, those two things in the same category, that just as sure as I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, just as sure as I know he loves me that much, that I am forgiven and that I am cleansed, just as sure as that's a fact, I also know that he poured out the Holy Spirit onto his people and he empowered them that they could go supernaturally and they could reach the world around them. I know that for a fact. And as sure as I am of his salvation, I am as sure that it was supernatural. And that he wants to use me in that. I'm sure of it. And something in us at some point needs to break for us to begin to believe him that as sure as he died for our sins and as sure as we've been cleansed of our sins, we can be as sure that he poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and he empowered the church to go forth supernaturally. It dominates way too much of the book of Acts for us not to understand that that is an important truth in the gospel. We meet people every day, they want to downplay it. We meet people every day that they want to say, well, that's not as important and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Then why is it so prominent? Why does it dominate the story as much as it does all throughout the early church? It is a dominating part of the story. That there is a supernatural release, a supernatural word, a supernatural power that is released through individuals in the church. And I'm not saying that salvation isn't important because absolutely it is. But God's plan for that salvation to be shared across cultural, language, physical barriers was going to be a supernatural plan. Because believe it or not, although these are great tools, it's not shortwave radio. Believe it or not, even though it's a great tool, it's not a gospel tract. It's, not, it's none of those things. It's, not, it's, no, it's no modern invention. It's the supernatural manifestation of Christ through us. It's going to make a difference. And it's going to reach the world with the gospel. And God will use video. And God will use shortwave. And God will use gospel tracts. And God will use whatever means he wants to. But we cannot, cannot get away from the very organic thing that God did from the very beginning. He said, this is how I'm going to do it. This is my purpose for you. I want to 
just say that it doesn't take any effort to frustrate the purpose of God in your life. No effort whatsoever. It's easy to frustrate the purpose of God in your life. It's easy to thwart the purposes of God. It's easy to nullify the purpose of God, to make void the purposes of God in your life. It's really easy. How do I know that? Well, it's from this verse. When Jesus says these people rejected the purpose of God, when Jesus said they thwarted, they frustrated for themselves the purpose of God in life, what did they do to frustrate the purposes of God in their life? What did the Pharisees and Sadducees do? What does this verse say? They rejected the purpose God had for them. How? What did they physically do? They did nothing. Okay? They did nothing. The invitation was given. The example was set. Come be baptized. Come on, be baptized. Mm, no. And in doing that, which is nothing, they thwarted the purposes and plan of God for their life. And the, this verse is important for us to kind of get that picture for ourselves because in order to frustrate or to thwart God's purpose, see, they did it by not being baptized. <laughs> it wasn't through really anything they, they were doing. It was what they didn't do. And so in our lives, you think about that, it's like, well, what am I doing? Well, that may be the question, but maybe the question is, what aren't you doing? Does that kind of make any sense to you? What didn't I do? And I'm not talking about the past so you feel guilty about it. I'm talking about like today. I'm talking about moment to moment. And the whole idea is, is that you've got this opportunity. Well, what's the opportunity? Well, you can live in forgiveness and cleansing. Well, what if you decide you're not going to do that? What if you decide I'm going to live in guilt? What are you doing? You're thwarting the purposes and plan of God for your life. Well, what, what would have happened, though, if they had heard his, his word, his reproof, and they had confessed their sins and were baptized? Right, right. But they didn't do that. So they thwarted the purposes of God, <laughs> the plans of God. It was like, it, it's, and, and that's kind of what I mean. It's, it's like, well, what'd they do? Nothing. They just kept doing what they were doing. Yeah, and so do some of us. I mean, you know, to be honest, we, we kind of seem like tools too in a sense because once you don't have the supernatural, once the church, I don't say you, once the church, and by I say we, not necessarily people just in this room, once the church, you follow me on what I just disclaimed? Okay, 
Once the church, though, loses the supernatural, historically, what happens? It dies. It doesn't die. It becomes religion, so it becomes something that is more of a... It's a systematic approach, correct. And so part and parcel to a systematic approach is a hierarchy. Part and parcel to a hierarchy is a political system. Part and parcel to a political system is power struggles. Part and parcel, I mean, okay. It becomes a very human institution. And it becomes a machine instead of an organism. And that's a huge problem. So by doing nothing, we can perpetuate something. It's just not any good. And that's both on an individual level and also on a corporate level. Because the idea behind this is that God has a purpose, God has a plan, and part of the action that we need is to go along with it. Is to, is to really take some action to go along with it. You see, they did nothing. And that thwarted God's purpose for their lives. I mean, that's enough. It's enough to thwart God's purpose for your life to do nothing. You don't need violence. You don't need antagonism. You don't need to argue about it. You don't need to win the fight. You don't need to do anything. Just do nothing. And that's enough to nullify God's intention for you. You don't even have to fight about it. Not even a little bit. The Pharisees and the Sadducees by walking away that day and by just not being baptized, they thwarted God's purpose. They thwarted his plan. They didn't have to fight about it. They didn't have to cause any violence. They didn't have to, you know, make a scene. They just did it through doing nothing. Absolutely. In fact, they harmed their life. They harmed themselves. But it wasn't through, and this is the, the point I'm trying to make, it wasn't through any real action. It was through doing nothing that they harmed themselves. Then they kept harming themselves. And what this tells us is, is that the people most in danger of not, aren't, aren't the sinners. In other words, and I use that word, you kind of understand what I mean by that? The, the everyday people, well, they weren't the ones in danger. They were going down to John and they were listening to him. They were repenting of their sins and they were being baptized. They weren't in danger at all. The people that were in danger were the respectable, church-going, sermon-hearing religious people. That's who was in danger. And that's still true today. The real danger exists for the religious person. The, the average person that's just doing whatever they're doing, the average person is just out there living and doing whatever they're going to do out there or whatever, given the opportunity, given an appropriate opportunity to respond, they make a decision to repent, they make a decision to confess their sins, whatever you want to say it is to come into relationship with Jesus, they make that decision. That's awesome. See, they, they have more of a shot at doing that than the person who has made a decision some point in their life not to make a decision. 
the religious person that's not going to rock the boat, the religious person that has it figured out, the religious person that is not going to change their mind, the religious person that this is the way I've always done it, the religious person that says all of those kind of things that are buzz and catch words, they're the people that are most in danger. They've always been the people most in danger. Jesus loves the people out there, whatever they're doing. The people that are thwarting God's purpose for their life are the people that are dead set and going to do nothing. And so I want to encourage you, and I'm just going to take a few moments to do that, to think about some areas that maybe, and this is where this is really hard. It's not that you're actively doing anything. And that, that's not what I want you to think about it as. I want you to think about some areas of inactivity. Where there's God's purpose, God's plan. And maybe it's as simple as the two really obvious things I said. The first one was that he wants you to live forgiven and cleansed. And if you're just letting the status quo roll there and you're not living in forgiveness and you're not living in cleansing, that inactivity is thwarting God's purpose for your life and his intention. Okay, don't let that continue on. God wants you living in forgiveness and cleansing. Because in order to move on, really move on, and deeper into what he has for us, his other purposes for our life, it needs to start there. Forgiveness and cleansing. And once you get that, and you start living in that, I'm going to live forgiven. You know, how's it going today? Forgiven. How's it going? Cleansed. It's good. Forgiven and cleansed. I know you don't answer people that way, but that, that's really how you live. Huh? Maybe you need to for a while. <laughs> that may be true. Uh, that maybe it is, but I mean, that is the truth. And actively, that's something we enter into. Actively, that's something we actually live in. So it needs to happen until it's second nature, like, yeah, forgiven and cleansed. What's going on today? Forgiven. Yeah, still cleansed. Yep. Forgiven and cleansed. Still going on. And then the second part of it kind of comes after that, and that is, well, all right, God wants to speak through me, and God wants to do stuff through me. That's what Jesus wants. And that's, to me, that's when that really begins to rip in our life. Is when we get over the hump of, I'm a bad person, I'm evil, or I'm dirty, or whatever the lies of the devil are in us. But when we get over that hump, then the, the natural outflow of that is, God does want to speak through me, Jesus wants to speak through me, and Jesus wants to use me in whatever it is he wants to use me in. And to me, those are the moments. Those are the moments when we're not struggling with any of those other questions that the supernatural really flows through us. It's in those moments, in those times, in those places where I have no doubt 
I have no doubt. Died on the cross, rose on the third day, poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. No doubt, man. Use me. Here and now with this person. Supernatural. Let it flow. Let it flow. And then, of course, there's other areas of our life. I just, like I said, I'm just giving you two. Two big ones. That's they're kind of the let's get it started ones. But then there's there's nuances in each of our lives, purposes, plans, focus, foci for us. That mine's not the same as yours. And then that becomes the beauty of the body, kind of doing our things. But together, like ebony and ivory, in harmony, right, right? Like the orchestra, yeah. But before we can do that, we need to get at least one note down, <laughs> all right? Get this thing tuned up and get our notes together. And, and that's going to start with forgiveness, cleansing, supernatural. Any questions or comments? Yes. I mean, we think of someone like that as an advocate. And I know he's described that way. I think the Holy Spirit's described that way. But the, that whole idea of an advocate, there's somebody really speaking on our behalf. And in, uh, in, in the, what you said about intercession is really important. It's like he's on our side. He's proved to be on our side. And he's continuing to be proved to be on our side. He's, he's been on our side. Just like he was on John the Baptist's side there. There's something physically you can actually read and see. He's on his side. When maybe some of us wouldn't have been on his side. But that's okay. He's the advocate. He's the one looking out for us. And I think we can trust in that. And find rest and peace in that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, everything I'm trying to say, everything I'm trying to do is to get all those bad ideas about God out of your head. And I hope someday they'll just leave. Go. Go. Because whatever was made up, whatever was conjured up about him and all the rest of that stuff, it ain't getting you where you need to get to. Right? Yeah. If you think about it, too, the bigger you are in your own eyes, the bigger your faults and failures. Mm -hmm. 
if you become so small, you can just overlook all that because you can't even see them. You know, kind of a spiritual nearsightedness. Can't see it. Good. Any other questions or comments? All right. Thank you for sharing that and for all of the other things that were said today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just the love of Jesus. And we thank you for him. And we thank you for the revelation that is Jesus that... God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Thanks for giving us that insight. Thanks for giving us that understanding of who you are through Jesus. And I pray that we'd be able to accept, I mean really accept, what Jesus has done. We'd find ourselves in a state of forgiveness and cleansing. A supernatural state where we speak for you and we physically move for you on the earth, God. So Lord, I, I just ask that whatever needs to happen in our brains, in our, in our hearts, that that would just happen. And I know that sounds really childish and simple to say something like that, but I only say it because we serve a God who can. And we serve a God who does stuff like that all the time. And so, Lord, I pray for some of us you would change our minds. For some of us you would change our hearts. I pray that today, tonight, we could really just sink into a place of really forgive, being forgiven and cleansed. And find that place to dwell and find that place to live. For God, I, I just I pray that doing nothing would not be an option for us. That just maintaining the status quo of our lives would not be an option for us. And we would stop harming ourselves by nullifying your will and your purposes for our lives. I just ask you, God, that we would really just get in line with you. And for all that you've done, for all that you're doing, for all that you will do, we'll give you thanks. We'll give you praise. We'll give you recognition. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. God bless you, and thank you for being here.